Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Excited to, uh, as we're getting ready to go into December, because each December I like to welcome some guest teachers uh, here at the Sunday School Hour. And so, uh, speaking of that, I was just going to say we're excited next week to have Joel Matchak, who's just walking in right now. So jo- Joel's going to... Joel's going to give a great message next Sunday morning at 9.30. encourage you to be here for that. And then, uh, Lord willing, a uh, week after that, his dad, Milt Matchak, is going to give us a word. And then we'll have some others as, as we close out December 2. But, um, but excited to talk about Jeremiah today and the unique perspective on his life and something that happened to him. Let me start with this, though. Have you ever felt lonely? I mean, really felt lonely, like you were the only one. Or have you ever been stabbed in the back by someone? Someone was disloyal to you. Or have you ever wondered why bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? If any of those things are true, then you're going to identify with Jeremiah today. Uh, Jeremiah had the very unpopular and unwanted job of bringing messages from the Lord that were mostly messages of judgment. And in fact, when you read through the book of Jeremiah, and already we've been going through it in several chapters, you probably already are beginning to feel this way, but it feels just like a machine gun of judgment. And it's relentless. Just one after another, Jeremiah speaking truth to a nation that is literally on a downward spiral. Feels so much like ours, really. But I do want to remember that these messages that Jeremiah gave are, were over the course of 40 years. We're giving them over the course of several weeks here, but these are over the course of 40 years. So this book, really, the book of Jeremiah is a journey of a very lonely voice, the lonely voice of truth in a nation that's going downhill fast. Chapters 10 and 11, they continue just laying out in graphic language the situation that, we've, that Jerusalem, uh, Judah, finds themselves in. God has said multiple times, Judah, I consider you my wife. I've married you. I love you very much. I've made a covenant with you, as married people do. But you, as my wife, have committed pervasive adultery. You've committed pervasive adultery against me with other gods. And the nation now, in so many different ways, has lost all sense of right and wrong, good and evil. You lost all respect for me. You, right in the middle of the temple, you're worshiping other gods. And because of all this and all the many, many other things that have taken place because of that, I'm going to have to bring the curses that I warned you about back in the days even of Moses. I've waited hundreds of years. I've held back, but I'm going to have to do it. And guess who gets to be the one to go tell Judah and and all of Jerusalem uh, what God's going to do? Jeremiah. But one thing about Jeremiah and any Christian, and that is you can't separate the minister from the message. We are not supposed to just preach it as Christians. We're supposed to live it. 
And Jeremiah lived it, and it cost him. Today we're going to see the personal cost of following the Lord. So buried in all these sermons is a little story about a plot to kill Jeremiah. And that wasn't as shocking, I don't think, to Jeremiah as much as who it was who, had, who was forming this plot to kill him. We're going to look at that in just a minute. So right in the middle of this sermon in chapter 10, 11, where God's comparing Jerusalem to a once beautiful olive tree that he loved, but now I'm going to have to burn this olive tree up. There's a sudden shift in the message. And here's what we read, Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 18. Let's look at that. And the Lord hath given me knowledge of it, and I know it. Then thou showest me their doings. This just means that the Lord gave Jeremiah knowledge of something that the people had been doing behind his back. The Lord turned me on to something here. Verse 19. But I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may no, be no more remembered. So this is something Jeremiah would never have known unless God had revealed it to him. He was just he would have been like a lamb going, or an ox going to the slaughter. By the way, this is where we get this popular phrase, like a lamb to the slaughter. There were some people, he says, behind the scenes that were devising devices against him. It was a plot, and it was a plot to kill him. Destroy the tree, it says, with the fruit, and cut him off from the land of the living. So Jeremiah's preaching had, had definitely made an impact on people. <laughs> People do not like to be told that they are sinners. And in this case, violence was their response. Now, it's so funny to me. I just want to take a step back for just a minute. It's so funny to me that it's been the same strategy for centuries. <laughs> if we kill the preacher, the fruit will be destroyed. Let's kill Jesus, and that'll shut up this whole Christianity thing. Let's kill Paul, and the gospel will just go away. Uh, but like they say in the song, you can bury the workman, but the work will go on. Amen. It will never, ever, ever work, devil. You can't just kill the messenger and the message will go bye-bye. They're still doing that all over the world, and it's never going to work. He still tries it, though. Even gunmen today coming into churches. You know, uh, we several years ago, I visited a large church down in Southern California, and during the worship, there's several different services. So during the worship time, the pastor, that was like his greeting time. So he would go around and greet people as people were singing, and he'd walk around the, the auditorium. But I was watching him walk around the auditorium greeting people, and there was a guy following him in a suit. And everywhere he went, he, this guy was just following right behind him. And then as they got a little closer, I realized he had one of those little earpieces in. And then his little his jacket kind of opened up, and I saw something in his, in his shirt there. But... Um, this, this guy was the bodyguard for the pastor. And I thought, man, this, his pastor's about to preach in a few minutes. What is he going to preach today? You know, that he has to have this guy with him. Uh, but, you know, actually, I, you think about that, I would say most likely there is a hit on, out on that guy's life. It's, I, I would have no doubt that somebody emailed him or put it on social media, you know, we, something about killing this guy. Um, you know, you, just, you get your sermons out there. And you never know who hears them or is going to say or do whatever. Well, we really do know for sure that there was a hit out on Jeremiah's life. 
There really was a plot to kill him. But Jeremiah had the best informant ever, and that was God himself. And God, Jeremiah would have rocked right into the trap had it not been for the Lord. He was a lamb to the slaughter, by the way, as it says here, which reminds us again how Jeremiah is a type or an image of Jesus Christ. Philip, when he was preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, he said, you know, Jesus is the lamb led to the slaughter. That's who Jesus was. So what does Jeremiah do here? He cries out to God to handle this situation. Verse 20. But, O Lord of hosts, that judgest righteously, that triest the reins of the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For unto thee have I revealed my cause. So Jeremiah asked God to avenge him. I want to stop right here because some would ask, hold on, is it right for Jeremiah to be asking God to take vengeance on someone? I read some commentaries as I was going through here and studying this once again, and, had, and uh, some of them said, hey, it, we should not do that. We should not ask God to take vengeance on people. Some said that it was fine in the Old Testament, but it's not fine now in this New Testament time. Jesus, they, they said, would never do this. But let's think about this for just a minute. First of all, Jeremiah is asking for God to take revenge. Jeremiah is not picking up a sword and uh, taking revenge himself. You know, Jeremiah had very good theology here. He knew what the Bible says, and that is that God is the avenger. That is his, one of his roles. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 35 says, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them uh, make haste. Psalm 94.1 says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth. O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Isaiah said in, verse, in chapter 35, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. <clears throat> so according to the law, according to the Psalms, according to the prophets, it's God's job to bring vengeance. And even in the New Testament, we're reminded that we shouldn't avenge ourselves, but we ought to let God do that. Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Well, we need to realize, however, though, when we think about this, God is the avenger. God is the one who will take vengeance on our behalf. But we need to realize that Jeremiah and David, both, when they were calling and asking for vengeance, they made sure to ask God to judge righteously. In other words, they asked God to judge themselves by the same standard that they're judging their enemies. Is, is there any wicked way in me, David said? Judge me, Lord. Uh, Je Jeremiah is asking God, judge righteously here. You've seen me. You try my heart. You try my reins. And if there's anything in me that needs to be dealt with, you deal that there. But Lord, apply the same judgment to me as you do to them. Secondly, God doesn't reprove Jeremiah here for asking this. Any more that he reproved David in the Psalms for asking for the same things. So I'm certainly not going to stand here and reprove Jeremiah for asking for vengeance here. Having said that, there is something to consider. 
there are also times, and we know them, when Scripture says to turn the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is appropriate at times. Jesus spoke about forgiving people 70 times 7. And Jesus and Stephen both said something very similar. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. We don't have time for a full study on this, but I'm just going to end by saying this. I think the key is that we, as God's people, need to be spiritually healthy enough to discern when to use which approach. There may be a time, and I think it's rare, that we would ask actually God, Lord, we are ready to see your vengeance on this situation. I can think of some scenarios. I can think of some situations. But, at, but most of the time, really, it's in our daily life and wh- what we're dealing with, we, we ought to just have a turn the other cheek, 70 times 7 kind of attitude. But God knows, and we're always asking God to judge the situation. Stay close and listen to the heart of God. Well, not only did God not reprove Jeremiah for asking this, he actually said that he was going to answer this prayer. Verse 21, Therefore, thus saith the Lord of the men of Anathoth, that seek thy life, saying, Prophesy not in the name of the Lord, that thou die not by our hand. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons and their daughters shall die by famine, and there shall be no remnant of them. For I will bring evil upon the men of Anathoth, even the year of their visitation. The destruction of Anathoth uh, happened when the Babylonians came and placed a siege around Jerusalem. Anathoth was a small little village near Jerusalem. In fact, every one of the outlying towns suffered tremendously when the Babylonians came. And they really didn't have the security forces and the ability to defend against Babylon. So they were the first ones to go down. Anathoth, the little small town really of priests, uh, there was a lot of priests there uh, near Jerusalem. It was a, was a town that uh, might ring a bell to you it, because it's Jeremiah's hometown. It's where he was from, we found in Jeremiah chapter 1. So the plot to kill Jeremiah was hatched by the very people that he grew up with and the people he knew well, perhaps even his own family. So now, not only is there a plot to kill Jeremiah's life, but the news of the fact that it's from the people of my hometown that had to have hurt and shocked him. Perhaps his family was shamed and embarrassed by Jeremiah going around and preaching judgment on the nation. Uh, Perhaps they felt like, you know, the rest of the nation was looking at them and Anathos saying, you better shut that guy up. It's so sad when standing for God creates a family division. That's not a new phenomenon as we know. It's been happening forever. I know many of you in this room can identify with being the weird Christian in the family. <laughs> I've, I've had some family and friend gatherings and at times with people where literally I felt like I had the plague. And um, I, I would walk over to a group of people to chat and they would just run away as fast as they possibly could. And my, now maybe I'm just not lovable. That could be actually very true. My sisters would probably say that. But, but I also know this. I also know this, that there is a light inside of me. It's not me, there's a light inside of me. 
And darkness hates the light. And it, but thankfully, but thankfully, in all of that, and I've had times and you've had times like that too, but I will say thankfully that I've never had family try to kill me. <laughs> At least that I know of. J- Jeremiah was literally about to be killed. Think about this. But look at what God promises. I will punish them. There will be no more remnant of them. He tells them, him that, uh, Jeremiah, their day is coming. I will take care of this, I promise you. But that was still in the future. And Jeremiah, I think, felt like, uh, Lord, <clears throat> what about now? <laughs> They're trying to kill me. Perhaps he was still afraid and thought they might still try something. Whatever the case, Jeremiah humbly approaches God now for a one-on-one convo. He wants to have a little chat with God. Listen to this verse, Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. Look at this. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Now, for me, when I read this verse, I... I chuckle with how it's written. It's so human. And not only do I read this, I feel this verse. We think these Bible people, these prophets of old are heroes. You having some trouble there? (laughs) Uh, Maybe just follow along with me. We can just go to black screen. Yeah, I'll just turn it off. All right, try to follow along with me, folks. Get out your, get out your Bibles, whatever you need to do. Um, Jeremiah 12.1. You know, remind, this, this verse kind of reminds me of someone kind of coming to somebody and saying, you know, uh, Pastor Luke, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. But really what Jeremiah says here, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet, Let me talk with thee of thy judgments. (laughs) Jeremiah, first of all, he wisely acknowledges that God is the judge who who always does the right thing. He is righteous. You always do right, God. I am not questioning that at all. So he starts with this great reverence, but then, Lord, I just have a question about your methods. Some of the judgments or the justice of this whole thing. Some of the things, just sometimes, I wonder. And he asks very common questions here. Why do you allow the wicked to prosper? Why are all the horrible people happy? Why do they get all the stuff? Now, who hasn't asked these kinds of questions? Maybe not out loud, but in their minds and hearts. I mean, look at who has the wealth in California. This past summer, we were driving home from our family vacation, and we drove through Los Angeles, and our route, we were driving through, and it happened to take us very close to right near the homes of Beverly Hills. I mean, right, right through there, some of those homes. So we were just ooing and aahing at what we were seeing right in there. But I couldn't help but notice that those homes there in Beverly Hills are a little nicer than most of the Christians that I know in their homes. I mean, I don't see Joel and Lorianne living in Beverly Hills of Ukraine. But what is the deal, God? How come your servants aren't living there? Why, don't, why aren't they getting all of this? 
Why should those who despise everything that you are and go against your way, why should they prosper in such a way? Jeremiah goes on, look at verse two. Thou hast planted them. Yea, they, they have not, or they have taken root. They grow. Yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. Jeremiah says, my hometown people are a bunch of hypocrites. They talk like they know you, but their hearts are far from you. And yet you still give them success. You give them homes, you give them families, you give them good jobs. Everything seems to be going great for them. Jeremiah could not understand this. And it gets even more confusing when you contrast that with what God was allowing, uh, that God was allowing bad things to happen to good people. Look at Jeremiah in verse 3. But thou, Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Basically, look at my life, Lord. Look at my heart. I have a sincere heart. I've tried to do my best for you, and I'm about to get killed. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. Verse 4. How long shall the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? For the wickedness of them that dwell therein. The beasts are consumed and the birds. Because they said, he shall not see our last end. Jeremiah says, I felt like a lamb to the slaughter. Now it's time for these wicked, idolatrous, blasphemous, adultering people who have ruined the land to be led to the slaughter. But notice how he starts verse 4. Two words, how long, how long? And this is where I want to stop and park for a minute because this is what it comes down to for Jeremiah and in most of us in this whole question, the timing. We know the promises of God. He's going to make everything right someday. We understand that. We know the judgment day is coming and God's going to settle all the scores and it's all going to be uh, just but why? But our struggle is now. When, Lord? Why would God allow this to even go on now? Pastor Mike Robinette, when he's here, he's talked, he talks frequently about his friend, Pastor Yesu in India, and uh, the great work that he's doing. I mean, he is, he's helping so many churches, and he's, he's, a, he's a, a bulldog for Jesus in a very, very difficult field. But every, every week, uh, Yesu watches our services here on Facebook. He regularly comments on the church Facebook page. And, and um, he's, a, he's a busy pastor, winning people for Christ, but he's got such a love for the work God is doing all over. He reached out a couple weeks to me personally and just said hello and wanted to strike up a conversation. We started talking a little bit. But as we ended, I said, Yesu, what can we pray for? And he said, really... What we need prayer for in India, the church in India, is the persecution that is really on the rise. And this past week, I was reading some articles, and I read that the same thing. The churches are shutting down and going into hiding because of the, the rampant persecution in India. The new president there is a radical Hindu, and so he won't prosecute the crimes for these radical Hindus. So the question is, God, why? How long? Why would you let this happen in India? 
This is a good man. He's trying to do a good work. Why, Lord? And what about the difficult situation that I'm in right now with the people in my life? What about the healing that godly people need right now? What about the sin that we see in our nation right now? What about the Chinese and church and the Indian church and the North Korean Christians? And how, what about all them being treated, how they're being treated right now? How long shall the land mourn before you do something, Lord? It's the age-old question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? And it's not the first time in Scripture that God has been asked this question. Job begged for God to give him some answers in Job chapter 21. David poured out the same complaint in chapter 73 of Psalms. Let's look at that for just a minute. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Verse 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, I w it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. When David went to God's house, he got the right perspective. Look at their end. In other words, someday God's going to make everything right. And really, this is what God told Jeremiah in chapter 11 too. I'm going to take care of those people in Anathoth, Jeremiah. I will take care of them someday. But let's remember, God doesn't always give us the answer that we want. He gives us the answer we need. Before I get to what God says to Jeremiah here, I want to give us some closure real quick on this big question of why would God allow evil to continue and how does it play into his plan of sovereignty? This is the type of thing that theologians spend a lot of time studying. And really comparing scripture to scripture, you can get a lot of understanding on this issue. I've, I printed out there in the, in the papers that you hopefully got a quick little theological snippet about the doctrine of providence. Um, I'm not going to take the time to read through maybe the whole thing here, but I do want to just, let me just run through it real fast. The doctrine of providence says that the is the continuous activity of God whereby he makes all the events of the physical, mental, and moral realms work out his purpose, and this purpose is nothing short of the original design of God and creation. Yes, evil has entered the universe, but it is not allowed to thwart God's original, benevolent, wise, and holy purpose. So how, how do sinful acts and evil in the world fit into the program of a sovereign God? I gave you four things there. It's the preventive providence, which says that God often restrains man from sin that uh, he intends to do. God kept Abimelech from sinning, it says in Gen Genesis chapter 20. Then there's the permissive providence, where God, instead of actively restraining man from doing evil, will sometimes permit sin to take its course. See, Acts chapter 14, 16, God, it says he permits nations to go their way. And the third thing is directive providence. God allows evil, but he directs the way it goes. He told Judas in John chapter 13, what you do, do quickly. And then verse or number four is the restrictive providence, and that is that God determines the limits to which evil and effects and its effects may go. 
You know, he restricted Satan from Job in Job chapter 1, verse 12. So I gave that to you. You can think about that. Look that up. There's other scripture passages as well. So God may allow evil to continue on the earth, yes. But here's one thing to remember. It's never going to thwart the plan of a loving and all-wise God. But God does not give four-point theology lesson to Jeremiah here. And he also did not give it to David in Psalms. He did not give it to Job as well. God doesn't often just, here, I'm just going to just lay it all out for you because honestly, we couldn't even understand it the full, fully anyway. Just like when we have questions, God doesn't always give us what we want to hear, but he does give us what we need to hear, always. Here's his response, verse five. Jeremiah, if thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? That is not the answer that Jeremiah was looking for. I tell you right now. God answers the question with some questions of his own. Here's what he says. Jeremiah, if a foot race with other people makes you tired, then how are you going to do when you have to race against horses? If you're falling down on smooth ground, how are you going to, what are you going to do when the thorns and the thistles near the Jordan River, how are you going to do when you're walking through that? In other words, Jeremiah, if you are thinking about quitting because of this hometown plot on your life, what are you going to do when things get even worse? Basically, Jeremiah, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's like God sits him down, puts his hand on his shoulder, says, Jeremiah, son, this is just training ground for what's to come. If you think your family coming after you is, gonna, is bad, wait until kings, priests, and powerful people want to kill you which is going to happen to Jeremiah. Wait until you're in Egypt. Wait until you're in stocks. Wait until you're thrown into a cistern, which is all hap- going to happen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, this is faith preparation. That's what this is for what's coming ahead. A weak faith will never endure the difficulties of standing alone as a Christian. God knows that. And he knows he has to help strengthen our faith. He has to build this faith up. And through trials, God was training Jeremiah for new and stronger faith, like taking metal and putting it in the fire to purify it and strengthen it. God was getting Jeremiah to a place where he would just learn to just obey the word. I'm going to give you one one word at a time, and you obey it, and you just trust me to take care of the enemies. I don't want you to spend your time and energy worrying about about the fact that all this stuff isn't fair. Why do the bad people get this? And why do the good people have to deal with this? And stop spending your energy on that. You focus on me. You follow me. This is the word. And I'll build your faith and you'll walk in this. He doesn't give him the the answer he wants, but he gives a lesson that he needs. And here are a few lessons for the servant of the Lord as we end here. These are hidden lessons in that verse 5. I want to share with you real quick that I see. Number one, God's servants aren't owed an answer from God. You know, back in the book of Job, when Job asked these big, these questions of God, God starts to just nail Job with all kinds of questions. Do you know how I feed the animals out in the forest, Job? Do you know how the, you know, the whole universe works, Job? I mean, God's just 
just pounding Job with questions. No, I don't. I, 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 we're limited. Those questions showed that God is so much bigger than our minds could comprehend. Even if there was a way that he could tell our little tiny brains what he's up to, we couldn't understand. God owes us nothing. He doesn't have to tell us what he plans on doing at all times and, and what he's doing. And that similar message comes across here with Jeremiah. God doesn't give Jeremiah a tidy little doctrine lesson. He just tells Jeremiah it's going to get worse. So you just trust me. I will solve it all in the end. And if you must have a point-by-point -point technical and philosophical answer to all of your questions, then you'll never take Christ as Savior and you'll never be his disciple. We have to believe based on what we know in spite of what we don't know. And this is walking by faith. It's walking by faith. The second thing here that I see is that God's servants need accurate expectations. Jeremiah, like everyone, seemed to think that good people should get good and bad people should get bad. Always. 100% <laughs> of the time, that's how it should be. We should live in a world of karma. Should we? But this is an evil world, and that's not how things work. In fact, God told him to expect things to get worse for you. Reminds me of what Jesus told his disciples. John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus was adjusting their preconceived expectations. Do you think you're greater than the Lord? So why do you expect better treatment than your Lord? You know you know what helps me when I think about it, when I put all this together. You know what helps me, honestly, when the worst of life comes at me? The right expectations. It really does. If I expect to get what my master got, then anything better than that is a bonus. <laughs> if I expect to get crucified, then you know what? Any, man, this is great. I'm not getting crucified. I haven't, I haven't, what does it say in Hebrews chapter 12? I haven't sacrificed with blood yet. I can take it. I haven't sacrificed with blood. God's servants need regular expectation adjustments. This is why a constant diet of the word of God is so important. We, we can be stronger when the worst comes if we're expecting it. And then lastly, God's servants need God's strength as the days grow darker. What God's telling Jeremiah here is that your battles now are preparing you for greater battles in the future. <laughs> I was thinking as I was studying this, man, everybody's going to wish they had not come to Sunday school today. This is the worst lesson ever. Uh, you might have wished you didn't come. But don't miss the larger point here. Because I think we all do need to hear that. Darker days are coming. Not just as a nation, but I think even personally in our own lives, we have to know that. But the, point, the larger point that God's making to Jeremiah is that, Jeremiah, my strength will be there in that hour too. No matter how big it is, it will be a bigger battle, but you'll be fighting with a limitless God. There'll be grace for every trial. You know, if your plate can't handle everything that's on the plate, then God knows how to expand the plate. God knows how to give you a bigger plate. Re remember, and remember this, big battles mean big victories, which tell a greater story of God's grace. It just means more glory for God 
when we can endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You're going you're gonna to face them. But the greater the issue, the greater the challenge, when you endure, there's a greater glory that God gets. Someone has said this, endurance, and I love this, endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. That's endurance. Jeremiah, I tell you right now, is not in heaven today saying, I should never have endured all that stuff for the Lord down there. That was just too hard. It's never worth it to give up. Romans 8.18 says, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So don't get weary in well-doing. Use this as a time to be stronger for the next battle so we can give a greater glory to the Lord. Preparation leads to exaltation. Keep going and you're going to have stronger spiritual muscles. Now, this may be a difficult word from the Lord for everybody today, and I'm sure it's not what Jeremiah was hoping to hear either. But it's exactly what he needed and exactly what we needed, I think. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. I hope that each day we'll face the day with uh, realism, with faith, and knowing that we have the Lord on our side. If we'll cry out, Lord, give me strength for this next trial strengthen my faith so, Lord, I can bring glory to you in the end. Oh, God, I pray that we will be the kind of people that face the trials, that face the, uh, the hardships, the difficulties, Lord, of life with your grace and your power. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Jeremiah who stands strong and we now stand on his shoulders, Lord. Help give us that kind of strength in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.